there was a float in the Tournament of Roses parade. And as the parade is moving along, New Year's Day, this float is going along and people are watching and they're checking it out. And, you know, there's a buzz in the stands. Everybody's excited. Some are more excited for the football game coming, but they're standing there and they're tolerating the parade. Others are just excited about the bands coming by and the floats coming by and the ostentatious design of these things. And this float gets about a quarter of the way into the parade and it runs out of gas. True story. Runs out of gas. The thing just dies. Somebody would have thought to check the tank on that thing, you know? Runs out of gas. And all of a sudden, people are scrambling to look for, trying to find a gas can and a place to fill up. And they're coming. It took about 15 to 20 minutes to finally get this thing filled up. The whole parade behind him is backed up. The Roses Parade is stopped because somebody forgot to check the gas can. Okay? So they finally get it filled up. They get the thing running. Everything starts moving again. Here's the irony. That float was the standard oil float. (laughs) Not such a good advertisement, right? You know what? Sometimes we represent, sometimes we are dressed and look like, but we don't have it inside. Do you know what I'm saying? And what we need to be careful of is as we've walked through these three chapters of Ephesians, let's make sure that we're not just representatives of Let's make sure that we're not just clothed on the outside with the way we manage our actions, but that we got it on the inside. Jesus Christ at work in our lives. That's the challenge as we go through these three chapters today. We're going to be putting our arms back around Ephesians chapters 1 through 3. You know, we walked through promise after promise and grace after grace as we walked through those three chapters. And the last thing I wanted to do is just leap right into chapter 4. What Paul is doing is he is establishing in those first three chapters the foundational truths that you and that I can count on, that we must lean on to have our inner gas cans, gas tanks filled and ready to go. Because the next three chapters are all about getting into action, going after it. And it's going after it with his grace, with his power, with his life, with his energy. So let's go back. Let's take a look at all three chapters, putting our arms around and answering this question. How can I be filled with him? Not just representing him on the outside, not just looking like him on the outside, but be filled with him and his power as we dive into life and take up the challenge of walking for him. Okay? So we're going to be going through Ephesians chapters 1 through 3. It's going to be a little different than normal, right? Usually we walk phrase by phrase through a short passage. This is putting our arms around the whole of it. The ushers are coming forward. They've got some Bibles in their hands. We would love to get a Bible into your hands. We will be looking at different passages along the way here. So just raise your hand. We'll get a Bible to you, okay? Again, we're looking at Ephesians chapters 1 through 3. First point that we got to remember as we look back at what Paul was challenging. He starts out with, be thankful for the possessions that we have in Christ. Be thankful for the possessions that we have in Christ. In chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, he just lays it on thick. He starts out in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Be thankful. Be thankful for what he's pouring into you. Be thankful. He starts out with the blessings from the Father. Three different sets of blessings. Blessings from the Father, blessings from the Son, and blessings from the Holy Spirit. So blessings from the Father. 
In verse 4 there, he says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And then right after that, he says in verse 5, he predestined us for the adoption as sons. So he chose us. Well, what does that word mean? It means selected from among many. It means that God the Father purposely went after you. That's what it means. He chose you. Now it says that in the choosing, he chose at a certain point in time before the foundations of the world. Before you existed, before the world existed, God knew where he was going with you. He knew how he was going to be working in your life, choosing you. And the next word that he uses is predestined, pre, before, destined, determined. So he determined beforehand that you would be adopted as sons. Now, he doesn't use that word to emphasize the gender, sons versus daughters. He uses that word to emphasize the maturity, son versus child. What he's saying is a child in God has a relationship with him as father, but a son also has rights to the heir, rights to, com- to obtain that heir, that inheritance that is yours. He's saying that you have been adopted, brought back into the family, and given special privilege with him. Now, remember what we said. This is not Paul's dissertation on predestination versus free will. Remember when we went through this? This is not God, through Paul, trying to share in the first five verses of Ephesians how it all exactly works out. And all too often when we read these words, the first talk we get into is, how do you think that works? I wonder if, well, how exactly does that play if, and we're missing the point. You see, his point is this, God Almighty involved in your life. That's the point. Well, how exactly? Yeah, not sure I can actually answer that. I do want to say this about it. Same thing I said last time. We have to be very careful that the choosing and the predestining doesn't get taken so far that we no longer have any responsibility. That's what we have to be careful of. You look in Romans chapter 10, it takes believing and confessing. You look back in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it takes faith. We have responsibility to act and respond. That is a part of what needs to happen. So as we look at God at work in our lives, we still have a call to respond and to act and to move. It's God's work, but it's our walk. And the two are two facets of a diamond that play together. And we just have to make sure that we allow that. However you want to begin to try to start to explain those pieces and positions, and there's a couple of man-made systematic theologies out there to try to explain it. The reality is, make sure you always have both in play. God's work our walk. That's the best challenge I can give you. And if you want to read these verses for what Paul is saying, here's the summary. God loves you and he wants to be involved in your life. God at work in your life, choosing and predestining blessings from the father. But he goes on. He says, there's blessings from the son too. He starts out in verse seven there. He says, uh, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Redemption. You've been bought through his blood. The payment, his shed blood on the cross. God Almighty becoming man, bringing himself down to humility and paying the price for you and for me. Redemption. 
We have been brought into the family through a price paid by Jesus Christ himself. He bringing us to him, redeemed, forgiven. You know, the technical word for forgiven, we, we can think about it in our lay words today and we sort of think about, I don't know, you know, it's this word you say, ah, I'm sorry, okay, I forgive you. But what we're actually doing is we're releasing somebody from a debt owed. That's forgiveness. You're releasing somebody from a debt owed. Now, God, in his infinite wisdom, he doesn't compromise his character. In the midst of that, we go, I've said this probably four or five times. I'll say it probably 50,000 times more. But this is the best way to describe God. We have a holy and righteous God. He is all about what is right and good and true. That is who our God is. And if we don't meet up, eternal separation. Eternal separation. A holy and righteous God with eternal separation. Well, what is that? Then we're all separated from him. How does that work? And God, in his infinite wisdom, brings in the other aspect of his character, love and mercy and grace. And the two together allow him, without compromise of character, as he makes the payment himself for you and for me. And all we need do is embrace through faith that holy, righteous God demanding payment, that loving and merciful God being willing to make it himself. And that God puts him at the tension of the cross where his righteousness and his love are met in payment through his blood. That's the plan of God Almighty. No compromise, redemption, forgiveness. His blood bringing you to him. That's the blessings of the son. He says right after it in verse seven, according to the riches of his grace, five different times we see that throughout the first three chapters of Ephesians. God's riches poured out on us. He is a wealthy, wealthy God, and he's sharing it with you and with me. Blessings from the son, we can be transformed by who he is in our life. We can be bought with a price. His shed blood. It says in verse 8, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He lavished this upon you, pouring it out to make a difference and an impact for you. You know, if we jump down to verse 11, there's something else that we gain in Christ. It's not just, hey, you get to be forgiven. Great. It's from now until all eternity, you have an inheritance that lasts you have something that, relasts, that lasts in a relationship with him where from now until all eternity, you get to continue to explore it more and more. Each day, more peace, more joy. Some days we don't experience that so much, do we? Some days we wake up and we go the wrong direction. And we start acting like we don't have the inheritance. We start acting like we've got nothing. We talk ourselves down. Maybe we even talk the people around us down a little bit. And all of a sudden, we're missing the point of life in Christ. You know, last week was a huge challenge week from Paul about power being released into your life. And I know that many of you went home saying, this is the week. And then you got to Sunday afternoon. And that's what happened, right? All of a sudden, we're screaming out and we're frustrated and it's not working out. And we get to Sunday night or Monday morning and everything kind of goes the wrong direction. I didn't pay for that scream to come at that time. It just, it just works out sometimes, right? You know what? 
I want to make sure today, that's why we're putting our arms around all of chapters one through three, that when you walk out today, going after week number two of life change in him, that this is a week where you can experience joy and peace and actual accomplishment in him as you go forward. It is all about his power being unleashed in your life. It is. And we've got that value, that possession of being forgiven, being redeemed, having an inheritance. And then he says right here, according to the counsel of his will. Do you understand? God is not sitting up there going, I have no idea what to do. Let's try it this way. We'll see what happens. Maybe we'll give this a shot this week. I don't know. These guys are so confusing to me. Do you know how hard it is to run a world of six billion people? Like, that's not our God. He's got it fully under control. And he's waiting patiently for us to come to him. And he wants to release into your life power for change. He's not talking about eternal life only. He's talking about life here today too. Christ can make an impact right here, right now. Amen? That's what it's about. Living life for him right here, right now. We have possessions, as I said in the top line there. Blessings. God pouring out into us. But are we just cloaked with it like the float and we're running empty on the inside? It's time to stop that. It's time to start living a full life for him. Ready to rock in this world for him. Ready to experience the victory that he has for us. Blessings from the Father, blessings from the Son, but he also has blessings from the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you believed in Jesus Christ, when you trusted in him, the Holy Spirit took up residence in you and sealed you. What does that mean? Well, a seal was something that you put on that had a special mark to it that said, owned by, possessed by, you are his. That's what it's saying. Don't mess with this child. This is my son. This is my daughter. You are his. Sealed. And with that seal, he says right after it, not only were you sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, but verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Some passages say pledge, depending on your interpretation there. You are sealed. You are guaranteed. You are promised. The Holy Spirit at work in you. We can experience a victory and a life change like never before. How do I know? Because he has taken up residence in you. And the fruit of the Spirit was going to pour out over you in time. The fruit of the Spirit, singular, not plural. All of them coming out in you because of his presence in you. Because of his power being unleashed in you. Don't muscle it. Stop trying so hard yourself. It's time for you to submit to God and let him go after the life change in you. It's a big deal. We keep trying to do self-control but that's a spirit fruit. We really need to stop doing the, it's all about me and how hard I try. And we need to start doing the, it's all about how much I lay myself before him. His power at work in me. I need to get him into my life. And it takes me submitting, putting myself under his authority. He has lavished blessings upon us. 
And Paul starts out the entire book of Ephesians with this. Be thankful. Blessed are you as the Holy Spirit is lavished upon you. God the Father is lavished upon you. Jesus Christ has lavished upon you. Be thankful. You have much. Your daddy, richest guy in the whole world. That's what he's saying. And he's sharing it. Are you ready to take up life with God Almighty? Are you ready? I need to hear a yes. Are you ready? <laughs> All right. Sometimes I'm asking hypothetical questions. Sometimes I really want the answer, right? Are we ready? We got to go after this. Today's the day that we make some changes. We may have started over the past few weeks or months, but you know what? We need to engage fully understanding the promise that he's got for us. Blessings. Thankful hearts for his blessings. That's the first point. You know, this week, did you experience spring on like Monday? And whenever that was, late last week too? I mean, we're seeing 60s for crying out loud. Was that excellent? Do some of you like spring? Nobody likes spring. Do you like spring? I mean, that was a great... My daughters are outside rollerblading and they're going all over the place on their, uh, whatever they call that, the scooter. Thank you for my wife. The scooter, having a blast out there, short sleeves. They wanted to do the shorts and everything. We're like, it's still 62, you know? But... I mean, it is spring. So I start pulling out the other jackets, you know, because like I've accepted spring now. And, and then all of a sudden 30s hit again, right? And so the rest of the week, I'm walking around with my little harvest fleece on, you know? And so like I'm going over to the health club with my wife and I've got a t-shirt and shorts and my harvest fleece. And I think it was 22 and with wind chill, it was in the teens. And I'm walking there like, oh my goodness. And you get inside and you just stand there for a little while shaking, you know, because you're like warming up. Like I'm in rebellion mode, right? The reality is, I had a warmer coat. I actually have some pants. <laughs> what am I thinking about? How often do we live our life that way with Christ? Where we're running around underclothed, underdressed, and underpowered for doing what we need to do. And we've got the stuff in the closet. We're just not going after it. It's the same thing as the float. Unprepared, unpowered, sitting there, representing the most powerful God in the universe. What a pity, what a shame. It's your opportunity today to pick it up and go after change with everything you've got, with everything you've got. His first point, be thankful for the possessions. Second, recognize the position that we have in Christ. Recognize the position that we have in Christ. You know, from chapters two and three, uh, first half of chapter three, Paul just pours over what we have in him. So let's just start and move through this a little bit. In verse 1, where were we before we had a relationship with Christ? Verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now, we talked about this word a little bit. Remember, this basically means lifeless, incapable of response spiritually, completely flatline, no pulse, no breath, laying there spiritually, dead to him. What does that look like? Well, physically, this is what it looks like. He says, you were following the counsel of this world. You know, the, hey, do whatever's right for you. There is no absolute truth. It's all about feelings. Make sure you feel good in the moment, right? Those kinds of counsel of the world. The advice given from a friend who doesn't understand Christ and who looks at a life in Christ and goes, dude, you are wasting your time. That's horrible. Just go experience total freedom when he doesn't realize it's total bondage following the counsel of the world. 
following the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself. When we're not with Christ, we are being greatly influenced by the dark forces of this world, Satan himself. What's it look like to be dead in him? It looks like following the wrong thing, following the wrong people, following the wrong beings. He even goes further. He says, and even about yourself, verse 3, among whom we also once lived in the passions of our flesh. You know, whatever felt good, I did. When I wanted it, I took it. I don't care what it was. If I had a passion for it, mine, thank you. I'll go get it. Living in the passions of our flesh and carrying out the desires of the body, the mind and the nature, they were children of wrath. You know what? I stood in one spot before God. I stood there saying, I'll do my own thing, thank you. It's my way. What did Satan say standing before God? I will be like the most high. Me on the throne, that's my plan. That's where we stood. But he has a good message for us. What's our position in Christ? Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, this is in chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive. Jesus Christ comes from the kingdom. Remember this analogy? He walks out of the castle, out of his throne room, into the world, into the muck, into the sin, into the vile. And he kneels down and he breathes life into our corpse. And he awakens us to him. And he brings us back to life. And he sits us up and he walks us to the throne room. And in the throne room, he cleans us up. And he clothes us with his righteousness. And he seats us next to him. It says right here in verses 6 and 7. He seats us next to him. With all authority and power and privilege, we are sitting in the throne room of God Almighty and we were dead. Now that's power. Amen? We experience life in him. What is our position? Life in him. What is our position? It is not owner of a company. It is not engineer, nurse. It is not manufacturing worker. It is not welder. That's our title here as we do a job. You know what our title is? Child of his. Alive to him. Adopted to his throne room. Given power and authority. Ready to make an impact. That is our position. Amen? May we have our position in Christ. May we have our position in Christ. That's what it's all about. As he gives us life. As he gives us new life. He also gives us the opportunity to experience this new life readily and regularly. In verse 10, he says, we are his workmanship. Remember that word? Handiwork. Literally in the Greek, poem. You are his special artistic design. He has specifically thought and created you with your passions, your desires, your thoughts, your inklings, your spiritual giftings to be uniquely celebrating his grace and glory. You are his poem, his poetry in motion. That's who you are. Position in Christ. Not just given life, but given life to live to the fullest. Here's the beauty of it. He's designed it so it's actually the most satisfying thing you could do. He's not saying, I know you'll hate it, 
but nonetheless, this is what you're to do for me. That's a tyrant. He says, I've designed you specifically to be most satisfied when you're living as poetry in motion for me. You are my workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. He has given you as a gift to this body, as a gift to this pastoral staff, so that we're not the lone guns trying to run the whole doggone show. That's a ridiculous plan, by the way, just so you know. We'll find it when we get into Ephesians 4. The plan is that we all together lock arms together. And a role that we have as pastor and shepherd is finding your spot in this body to be serving and working for him as his poetry in motion. Praise be to God. And if we get in your way, conk us on the head, man. All right? We need to be helping you get to the right spot. We need to be working with you so that you can be celebrating him. You are alive in him. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. You know, he says a little bit later there in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 2. He's gone through what is this mystery, this idea that Jew and Gentile have been brought together as one. And he says in verse 19, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. You are fellow citizens, one nation, Jew and Gentile brought together in one nation. The opportunity to experience life in him, both of us on the same venue, trusting in him through faith. That's it. Both adopted in as children through faith. One nation. He says a little bit later there, one family, members of the household of God, he says, verse 19, we are one family. May we put our arms one around another and say, praise be to God. He is our daddy, our father. And when I say our, I mean our all-inclusive, everyone who believes, welcome to the family. Do you remember the message we talked about? This is our church home locally where we practice welcome to the family. If you're new with us even today, welcome to the family. May we learn every day how to care better for one another, how to reach out to the hurts and the needs and the wants and the desires. May we figure out how to help you be a complete disciple, one who worships God knowing and adoring him, one who walks with God, growing in him, one who works with God and for God, serving him, and one who witnesses of him, sharing in the body and in the community at large. May we help you to be all that you can be for Christ in this body. Welcome to the family. It's our job to be reaching out to one another and caring for one another. We are one nation. We are one family. And he says right at the end there in verses 21 and 22, we are one temple. God dwelling in us. May we reflect the unity in God Almighty. May we reflect the power in God Almighty. We are a mirror to this world, reflecting God into the world. May they look at us and see unity. May they look at us and see care. May they look at us and see shepherding and wisdom. And may they look at us and see transformation. Amen? We need to be looking like him. We need to be changing to be more like him. Power in him. We have life. We are called to be his workmanship. We are seated on his throne. We are one together as a family. We have position in Christ. You know what? In chapter 3, he even shares a little more. He says, I've let you be in the know. The mystery of Christ revealed. That he is the one who is pulling Jew and Gentile together. 
from ages before. The prophets had no clue how it was going to work. But Jesus Christ comes first as sacrificial servant, making available the payment, and then as reigning king. And as they looked out, all they saw was reigning king. They were missing the Isaiah 53 piece. And now we get to see the mystery revealed. The servant's sacrifice, his shed blood, allowing you and me to be breathed into, given new life, given power and position and authority to change that we can be experiencing total satisfaction in him. You are his poetry in motion, placed next to him, experiencing new life. Are you ready to mirror that to the world? We need to live in this world, not for ourselves, but for the one who breathed life into us. We need to live in this world, not for our pleasures and our comforts, but for his glory and for his honor. Amen? It is all about his glory and honor. We need to be living for him. That's where the most satisfaction is. Whether you're in jail, like Paul writing this letter, totally satisfied, knowing he's exactly where God's called him to be. What is your position in Christ? Claim it and live it. Claim it and live it. All too often, we do not claim what's ours. Remember last week we talked about the slaves. We go back to 1865 and the signing of their freedom, the Emancipation Proclamation. And there were slaves all over the deep south who had never heard they were freed. And they continued to live as slaves, not for days or weeks or even months, but for years later, they lived as slaves, even though legally they were freed men, freed families. Are we doing that? Are we living as slaves to sin? Slaves to Satan? Slaves to this world's suggestions? Or are we living as free? Experiencing the victory. Understanding who we are in him and claiming what we have right to because of his authority and power. Because of him at work in us. May we proclaim, may we recognize our position in Christ. Because get ready. Point number three is going to take a significant amount of action. And you're going to need to be aware of God at work in you. You're going to need to be aware of God at work in you. Number one, be thankful. Number two, recognize your position and go back to it often. I am a child of his. I am alive in him. I am his poetry in motion. I have been transformed by his power. I have all privilege and authority. The almighty king who has created this world with his spoken word wants to change me. I have gas in the tank. My God at work in me. Let's go, God. I'm giving you my life. Make a change in me today. I want to stand on you with all I have. Make a change in me today, Lord. That's point number two. Get ready to recognize your position and stand on it firm. Third point that Paul makes. Live out the promises that we have in Christ. Live out the promises that we have in Christ. You know, it's kind of neat. In Ephesians chapters 1 and through 3, there are two prayers. One prayer is a prayer for enlightenment. I want you to know these things and understand them. It's chapters 1, verses 15 to 23. That's a prayer for enlightenment. I want you to know these things. But Paul's just ramping up. He's just gearing up. And by the time he gets to chapter 3, it's, now I want you to be empowered to do these things. I want you to be able not just to know, but to grow. I want you to be able to get out and go after this with all you've got. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. 
Two different prayers there. One for enlightenment, one for empowerment. Let's make sure we cover them real briefly here, okay? A prayer of enlightenment in chapter 1. His first prayer that we know is that we know his hope. Hope. Remember that word? It means an absolute certainty of our future events. It's not like we use the word today. Boy, I hope that happens. You know, kind of that human will thing. Boy, it'd be nice if that were... That would be really cool if... That's not what it means. It means I am absolutely confident that with God at work in my life, this will be the change wrought. I am convinced that with my God at work, I will see transformation. He promises me that I will be conformed to his image. It will happen. He promises me eternal security with him that lasts beyond anything I could even try to understand. And it's with him for all eternity. It is certain. May you know your hope and may it make an impact in your daily life. Our hope is not in present day comfort. Our hope is not in being able to walk through this life with everybody saying, I respect that person. Right? Isn't it often? How often do we really want that? Think about it. Every day when we wake up, as we put on clothes, guess what else we put on? I would like a little respect today. Did you know that? And then you go into work and you start working and guess what you're saying? I hope they respect me for this. Boy, was that good what I said in that meeting. You wouldn't have believed how I changed things when I... We got to be really careful. It's easy for us to go after the respect. God doesn't really care if we can spell it. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. It's a good song. But he's not really interested in it. He's more interested in, are you giving your life to me so that you're reflecting me more? That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Know the hope of me at work in you. Number two, know his riches. This is still part of that no prayer, the enlightenment prayer. He wants you to know the riches. He is a wealthy king and he's lavishing upon you. Get to know him personally. Get to know it personally. And then know his power. He starts going into a little dissertation on the power that's at work in this world. And he starts talking about how it's at work in Christ. When he was raised from the dead, he was seated at his right hand. He has been given principalities and authorities that are under him. He is over all. That's the power at work in you. You know, the same power that transformed Christ at work in you. Don't hold it back. You know, the same power that's at work in Jesus Christ with his authority and privilege, and that's you. Do you want it? He's ready to work in you. Now, remember, if you're wanting it just because you can stand up and get some R-E-S-P-E-C-T, wrong purpose. It's about reflecting his glory. And if you're going after that, God, I want to know you deeply. I want to reflect you perfectly. May you be fully me. May I give myself to you. Now that's what it's all about. His prayer was enlightenment. Know him. Know him deeply. Get to know his power personally and experientially. How do you get to know his power? Well, that was his prayer for empowerment in chapter 3. And he gave us a couple of statements. First, he said in verse 16, for this reason, I bow my knees. Remember this? This is the, I'm buckling and dropping where I stand. This is so important. Before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. May your inner being, that very part of you that can perceive and decide, may that be strengthened. You see, it's not about physical strength. It's not about being able to talk tough in a big moment. It's actually about 
being able to stand strong in the quiet moments when no one's around. It's actually about, I'm ready to give my life to you, Lord. Help me to properly perceive the truth and help me to properly decide to follow you. Give me your strength in my inner being. Strength in the inner being. And then the second thing he says is, you will have strength to know my love in verses 18 and 19. He says that we can comprehend Christ at work. You know how? Because he's moving in you. He's changing you. He's touching you. Look exactly at what it says. Verse 19. Sorry, I'll start with 18. That you may have strength to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That's right, surpasses knowledge. You get to know that. How does that work? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. He says, you get to begin to put your arms around the oak tree that's so wide you can't imagine it. You're standing at that giant tree and you're going, wow, this is amazing. And every little time you turn and step, you're learning more. And there's not, you're never going to get your arms around it. But your capacity to understand continues to grow as you spend time with him. Let him transform you from the inside out with ability, with understanding of his love. As you relate to him and experience his love poured out on you, you'll get to know him deeper and richer than you've ever imagined. And the last point he makes about power, he says it's limitless. Limitless power. God at work in you, no limits. The infinite God pouring himself out to you. There is hope because we have the power to change. It's God himself in our lives. It's not an object we possess. It's a relationship that we have with him. Power at work in our lives. Now, some of you, like I said, you started out this week and you went, let's go for it. And it didn't take long and you had the downturn start occurring. Just a couple of little statements about it, okay? First of all, little acronym. You might want to write this down. HALT. H-A-L-T. H-A-L-T. HALT. When does sin take over my life? When do I start losing it? HALT. First, hungry. <laughs> Did you know that? When you don't have food, you actually do pretty poorly at managing your sin life. Hungry. We start getting this whole chemical imbalance thing going and who never knows what else and all of a sudden we start getting angry. Why do you think fasting helps bring out this growth element in us? It's challenging us by removing something that makes it harder to resist. Hungry. Angry. Have you ever noticed that you had a really bad day at work and you come home and then it just bothers the living snot out of you that the shoes weren't put away in the right way? You know what I'm talking about? You have one of those moments like, why in the world did you not pick up the... And we bring like a nine to a two situation. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, that's angry. We got angry about something else and we're displacing it into where we're at. And we sin. Hungry, angry, lonely. We're built for relationships. And when we start running thin and light on feeling cared for and having time with people, we start making some bad decisions. Lonely. And the last one is tired. Have you ever noticed when you go without sleep for one day or even days and days and days that you start doing really poorly <laughs> and you keep having these common faults and failures and, and all of a sudden you get like 12 hours of sleep one night or 10 or 9 or whatever it takes for you to get back up on top and you get your sleep back and the next day you wake up and you're like, I feel totally refreshed. And like now I could take on the world. I have no problem. That thing that was bothering you so much yesterday is not really that big an issue now. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Halt. When you're in one of those conditions or more, do exactly that. Halt. Stop and fix that problem. 
If it's hungry, get a little bit of food. If it's angry, you might need to get some relationships fixed up. Lonely, you might need to be seeking out, reaching out to others. Let them know you're hurting. Tired, go to bed. <laughs> like it's not that rocket science. We start walking through life and we can't figure out why we keep failing. But usually, hungry, angry, lonely, tired has kind of snuck up and tripped us right where we're at. Okay? Just a little thing to think about. As you start going after this, there's some things you can do to unleash God's power in your life. And some things you can do to keep it so you stop stumbling. All right? The holy God of the universe. The limitless God of all eternity who speaks and things come into existence, is whispering in your ear, I'm ready to work. I'm ready to work with you. Are you ready to be blown away? Are you ready to be blown away? Mike, I know you're at the back. Why don't you come on up, Mike? You know, all too often when we talk about change and being transformed, we don't have a good understanding of what it means, and we actually aren't even sure which way to go after it. And sometimes it helps just to hear a story from somebody who's gone through something that isn't unlike what I'm going through kind of a thing, you know? So Mike, you're our billboard. Appreciate you being up here. Mike, just if you could, I'd ask Mike just to be prepared with three questions to be answered, and, and one of them is simply this. What was life like a couple years back before some change that you've gone through occurred? Just give us a little understanding of that. It's probably nothing that uh, most people would have seen much of a difference, but um, internally I had a lot of anxiety and um, I had some issues I needed to deal with, uh, uh, one of them being control issues, um, that, which fed to my anxiety. Mm -hmm. So what was it that you did that began to address that? Share it a little with me out there. Well, it happened about when we were uh, in the first book of our small group. I really want to change, so help me, God. And uh, it talks about change. And, uh, you know, before this point in my life, I always kind of equated change to the conversion when a person comes to Christ. And uh, this book and this study and this small group helped, helped me to realize that it had to do with ongoing change. Um, and so at one point in there, you know, you, you begin to pray and ask God to show what area does he want you to work on in your life? And, and it was at that point that God began to reveal some areas in my life that, that God wanted to work and, uh, and to change. Where are we at now? Well, um, two years later, I'd say I can look back and say that there's, there's been some significant change. Um, God hasn't come in and taken away all of our problems and all of our issues, but... Uh, He's given us an extreme amount of peace. And when I, when I say us, uh, my wife and I, Karen and I, um, we have an extreme peace that we hadn't experienced before. And um, for somebody who used to have a lot of anxiety in their life, that peace is, is uh, life-changing. Yeah. You know, if you haven't met Mike and Karen, love to laugh, love to joke around. Both of them very uh, sweet spirits. And, um, you know, the challenge that you give of... It's not a change just about conversion. Do we get to know Jesus and then we just live the rest of our lives out here until we finally go to heaven? It's about actual transformation. Let me just ask you one last question. What would your challenge be to all of us based on what you've experienced in the last couple of years? 
Uh, my challenge would be to um, get down on your knees and ask God, what, what do you want to work on in my life? Uh, what do you want to do different with me? Where do you want to work? And um, it's a tough prayer because God will show you. Uh, might be some painful things, hmm. but, um, but it's awesome too. Yep. Amen. You know, I, I appreciate it, Mike. Let's just thank you, Mike, for coming up. Let's just give Mike... You know what? It's this simple. This is what it's about. It's not we bring up a story where you go, wow, I've never, I couldn't imagine if it's, it's real. The stuff I'm wrestling with, it's real. And, and we can experience victory, whether it be anxiety and control stuff, whether it be something more overt. I mean, where are you at right now with managing your marriage, with managing relationships around you? Maybe you're involved in things you shouldn't be, chemical addictions, sexual addictions, Maybe there's things you've got going on with your tongue that just need to stop. Maybe it's just your heart inside so that nobody else sees it going on. But you've got the anxieties and the lack of peace. There's no trust. It's time right now, right here. It's time for us to put chapters one through three to work. What's the thing you're working on? Flip your sheets over. Actually, you probably all have them on the back now. Just take a look. There's a prayer of commitment there. Everybody get this sheet out. All right, let's just read this together. Prayer of commitment. You ready? Oh, God of all grace, you have given me a savior. Please produce in me the faith to live by him, to make him all my desire, all my hope, all my glory. With your power, may I enter him as my refuge, build on him as my foundation, walk in him as my way. Follow him as my guide. Conform to him as my example. Receive his instructions as my prophet. Rely on his intercession as my high priest. Obey him as my king. And whatever I do, may it be done for his name and his glory. I give you my life to mold, shape, and use. Thank you for who you are, what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. This is a powerful prayer of change. Let's just take a few minutes now where we're just going to reflect on this prayer. Keep that prayer out, okay? Because I'm going to ask you to be going through it. Just take a few minutes here first where you think of what's that one thing I'm going after? Like Mike who was saying, you know what? I'm going after some change. I was going through this book. Lord, I want to change, so help me God. So God, how can you help me do this? What's the one thing that you're going after?